This is the Where You At Buds podcast, where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Stephen, Evelyn, and Marcus. Actually, I know your wife. I've met your wife. Oh, oh you're like, oh my God, look at your scary. eyes. Uh-oh. Now I no, have I, questions uh, you're going to ask. No, no, no. I, your wife's super cool. I've, um, I used to, So I followed her like hunting holistic and yeah, yeah she's, she's super a, cool. She's, she's been having a, a blast with it all, getting into it. I mean, she was a Toronto girl when I met her, right? She was into horses and stuff, but a Toronto girl. Told her very early on in the relationship, I was like, if this is going to work, there's going to be some ground rules and you got to be okay with this, this, and this. Like. I got a little bit of Squamish redneck in me. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> That's right. Take the boy out of Squamish, but you can't take the Squamish out of no, the boy. No, sir. And the boy came back to Squamish, too. So I love that it. It just shows you. I love it. And But she's avid hunter, too, now, right? Which is awesome, right? She's got I her mean, own hunting page. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the best ones are when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, you were out here knocking something down at like seven in the morning and getting back to the kid or something, you know, like that's a cool family. Oh, yeah. We had to get the, uh, well, we tried to get a bear with Junior out in the field this year, but it's kind of tough. You could imagine going bear hunting with like a, he was five months old at the time. <laughs> yeah. So packing yeah. him around and dealing with bugs and bedtimes and nap times. And <laughs> yeah. So trying not fun. to scare the bear off either. <laughs> right at peak time is like the last light, right before last light, but it was, that's always after his bedtime. So we'd go out and like right as he was getting to prime time for hunting, Junior would get fussy and I was like, all right, in the truck, we got to go home. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that hurts, especially with the price of gas right now. Like you're going away in the back country in your truck and I'm like, you know how much gas I just burned? But I don't want to not take her out there to get her a bear because yeah. she loves it so much and I don't want her to feel like she's missing out because she's a mother now. So That is was, awesome. It was fun. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. The, that whole sentence right there, Yeah, that's Joe. Right, I mean, that's the kind of dude he is, right? Like, and the social media, it totally reflects it, man, and it's it's awesome. But would you get out there? Would you would you knock something no, down I know, in I know. the field or what? No, no, no. Um, I think it's really cool, and I think it takes a lot of um, skill and all that. And I'm like, you know, super interesting, but no, I can't. It's, it's <laughs> I think not, I would shoot myself. Don't do that. You know what uh, I mean? I'd shoot, I'd shoot a limb or yeah. like myself. Uh, yeah, it, it's not for everybody. You know? No, like it's one of those things that I mean, I have a lot of friends that don't hunt but i just say like at least be open to the concept i mean i have friends one of my good buddies he's a vegetarian or vegan or one of those v words don't swear at me i'm sorry he actually came out and ended up filming like two or three of my hunts with me because and he fell in love with the process and he's actually ended up eating game meat after a while he said he'll only eat game meat that's been taken on a hunt because he appreciates the whole process so much it's just so different but I'm like like I don't go out there and yell at vegetarians or vegans because they're vegetarian or vegan the thing that drives me nuts are people who are just so close minded yeah. and they don't understand the process and they're just like no I hate it go then. yeah like where do you think your meat comes from you know I just well, what yeah. is the process just, the, to, just the, to clarify the process process of hunting yeah it's a very very low how many hours do we have here well condense <laughs> give me give me the other elevator pitch like I'm a vegan convince me to go hunting <laughs> um, you know convincing you to go hunting <sighs> I'm not someone who tries to convince people to go hunting, but for me, in my perspective, and you said you would never hunt yourself, but in my mind, I think if you eat meat, you should always have at least once gone through the process of gone out and hunted an animal because from a very young age, I was raised in a hunting family. I understand where the food on my plate comes from. So I go out, I spend all year preparing for the backcountry. I go out, I find an animal, work hard to get close to that animal. I spend all year, you know, shooting my gun, shooting my bow, making sure I'm lethal and I can get that thing in one quick, clean kill. Then I go in the bush and I kill this animal. If you're an animal lover, I've always had pets my whole life. I love animals. When I kill an animal to this day, it's still this emotional burden that you feel. And then when I kill it, but I understand that I owe this animal to use it to the fullest. I know that I'm going to eat meat because that's just who I am, what I do. My body reacts really well when I eat meat. 
I want to go out and get it myself. And then when I go out and get it myself, I'm getting an animal that's lived a full life. The average beef steak that you get from the grocery store is from an 18-month-old cow. 18 months. The average deer I take down, we go for the, I go for the high end of the age classes when I go for an animal. These animals are 5, 6, 10 plus years old. They've lived a full life. They've spent their whole life in the wild. And then I train hard so when I kill that animal, it doesn't even know I'm there and doesn't know what happens. Quick, a lot of time it's a harder a long shot. It stands up, feels lightheaded, tips over before it even knows what happens. It's like you stand up off a couch. It feels like you got punched in the ribs. I'm assuming I've never been shot in the lungs, so I wouldn't know. But you stand up, you're lightheaded, and then you go down out of confusion. Most of the time, it's very peaceful. If an animal isn't killed by a hunter, quite often if they're killed by a predator, they're eaten. And most of those animals eat them from the back up while they're still alive. Oh my gosh. Like there's a lot of ways you can see online, like animals in the wild do not die pleasantly. They're not dying like in Bambi where they're surrounded by their family. It's very right. tough. So anyways, I'm going really deep into the story, which happens with me a lot, but I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm a little passionate about the subject, but ultimately, so you go through and you have this connection with the animal. And then I pack that meat out of the bush. I have spent days getting animals out of the bush in the past and it's like miserable what we call type two fun where while you're doing it you're like why the hell am i here this is a nightmare i hate every second of this i'm cramping i'm exhausted but i get that meat back to my truck then i take it home i process it i butcher it and i serve it to my family myself and friends when friends come over if somebody doesn't finish their steak i'm not like okay brush that in the garbage it doesn't matter right which is what a lot of people do because they're not connected to the source of their food like I don't care if it's a friend's steak on their plate or anything. I'm like, okay, that's going in the fridge. That's leftovers. I'll eat it tomorrow. Whatever. Like nothing goes to waste from these animals because I understand where it came from. Half the time you see these animals as they're passing and it's an emotional burden. So I understand what it is. I won't waste meat. I appreciate it always. Just so to me, that's, I guess, a bit of an insight into the, the process is what I'm talking about. But the process of hunting brings you really close to your food, makes you appreciate where it comes from. Modern day society is geared towards disconnecting people from the source. That's why it's not called 18 month old cow shoulder. Could you imagine the perspective shift if when you went to the grocery store, it was called cow back or if it wasn't, you know, beef steak or prime rib, if they actually discussed it, like, like a tenderloin yeah. is a psoas. So if it was a cow psoas muscle, then all of a sudden you're like, it forces you to understand and appreciate where that food comes from. And it removes this. I, th I feel like society makes it extremely easy for people to fall in this hypocrisy trap where they're like, well, I don't hunt. So I'm a great person. Meanwhile, I'm posing at the bar with this big burger, like, Ooh, totally. I'm eating Kobe beef or veal or whatever it is. I'm like, I've never shot a freaking six month old deer and brought it home, but you're bragging about your veal cutlets. Like, no, totally. But and I'm the bad guy. I'm the guy who gets told, oh, you need to have possession and acquisitioning license to actually have a gun. Go get it. You need to have core. I go get it. But see, that's where it stops because I, <laughs> I didn't see all the stuff that he's doing and he's talking about that it takes to be prepared and ready to go into the field to take an animal's life. I don't know that I even have the time right now I, to commit to doing that. You I know what I mean? I should take some steps back because I can at times make it sound like it's really difficult to get into. No, I grew it's, up it's in Squamish. Hard, right? I, I mean, grew up in Squamish yeah. hunting, and and yes, now I'm at a stage in my career where I I use a lot of the the premium elite gear because I've been quite fortunate in the paths I've taken in life. But a lot of the animals I harvested growing up in Squamish, I was in hand-me-down logging clothes, the cheapest Canadian Tire rain gear, cork boots, and I was shooting like a gun that my grandfather probably had given to him. You don't have to have the best gear. The thing is, if you're an ethical hunter, you make sure you are the most prepared you can be with the gear you have. If that means taking the rifle that you have, going in the to the gun range, the Squamish Rod and Gun, or going in the backcountry and just shooting and making sure you're a good shot out to 40 yards, and then 
when you see a deer, only shoot out to 40 yards. Don't shoot 60 yards. Don't do things like that. Because if you've ever injured an animal, it's terrible. You feel guilt-ridden forever. But again, that's part of the process. Well, then you spend a lot of, of time chasing down too, right? Chasing it down. And then you feel guilty because that animal suffered un- unnecessarily. So, so yeah, there's a lot to it. But you don't. I don't want to make it sound like it's this. No, and it really isn't. I mean, thing. if you really wanted to get into it, Marcus, it's it's not that hard. The Squamish Rod and Gun Club here locally. I've, I've hunted. I'm just they, taking the angle of they would, hunting. But they, they would have it, right? They have these courses. They have pal and they have core mm-hmm. and you go out there and it teaches you what it is to hunt ethically number yep. one and number two how to properly and safely handle a firearm that you're going to use <clears> in the field when and, you learn to hunt too you touched on a really good subject there i grew up in a household that had firearms we were taught to respect firearms and not only were we taught to respect firearms but we saw the destruction that a firearm could kill. We saw firearms kill deer. And all of a sudden I realized like, holy, like you can actually conceptualize what death is. Because a lot of kids nowadays cannot, they see it on a video game and they're like, oh, something died, but it's going to regenerate in five minutes. Right. But I proved my point, yada, yada. Well, when you're out in the field and you're like, wait a second, no, that thing's dead. And now we're going to harvest it. And we, like you appreciate it and you respect it a lot. So there's a lot of things like I saw people misusing or mishandling firearms at other friends' houses. And like I automatically knew, I was like, dude, that is not a toy. And it's one thing to say that's not a toy, but when you experience it, you realize like, oh no, that's that's definitely not a toy. So I think that's, again, something hunting teaches people a lot of like respect and a lot of responsibility and you understand a lot. And I mean, heck, given current situations that have happened here in Whistler within the past few days, there's a lot of people that I don't think give firearms the appreciation they deserve because they may or may not have actually experienced firsthand what kind of destruction they can do. That, yeah. was, a, that was another tangent. I'm really bad for those guys. I'm I like sorry. it. I like it. No, because there's, there's a lot to it, Joe. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're, you're so right. I mean, here I was trying to, to just open the show and get you going on and on about something and, and try and shut you down. And, and So yes, on the show, funny. we have Joe Appel this week. Yeah, so. <laughs> sorry, guys. This is how Marcus, we roll. This, oh, this episode is brought to you by Backcountry Brewings. You stop laughing right meow. Right okay. meow. Right meow. Buds. Right meow. Buds. Okay. Um, yeah, go. today. Welcome to the show. Kraken Tin. This guy, he's a professional. There you go. Look right. at that tin, too. So it's a Mexican lager. Really, really good with a lime. How does it taste, Fryer? Oh, buds. So good. Marcus and I aren't drinking that. We're drinking the orange creamsicle. I'm not even supposed to be here today, and that's what Marcus is feeling I, like, yeah, right? It's hot, and I'm thirsty, so I'm actually having uh, a beer. He's partaking. He's partaking. It's and, good. And listen, shocking. he's got a smile on his face. I know. we got to get him drinking more. Uh, oh, my gosh. Ben keeps sending these ones. Creamsicle could be <laughs> could be Marcus's ticket. We don't wow. want him too nice. He's going to lose his edge, right? You're yeah, not going to run I, for mayor then. As you can hear with the motorcycles in the back, we're on Friar's patio, mainly because it's dang hot in the shed right now. It's like a it's a sauna. Taking there, so. a couple dips in the pool. The smoker's on the go because Joe Appel is with us today. Yeah, I, I, I still and, think we should have recorded from the pool personally. We but. still can. I have <laughs> I, No, it's my gear. No, thank you. <laughs> like, there's still there's some fun. There's plenty of time for us no to fun. get into the pool. Get him a few more of those cream school beers yeah, and see exactly. where this goes. Yeah, <laughs> see where that happens. Everything's going in the pool. Lubricate this for sure with a little bit of backcountry. Brewing. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Joe Pell, Mr. Advertising Account Zach at Wild TV, Canada's Hunting and Fishing TV, former athlete with uh, CFL's Toronto Argonauts and NCAA standout at Washington State. Cougars! Uh, oh, here we go. You're touching go on Marcus. You're, <laughs> and one that we definitely can claim to be our own, Mr. Yeah. Joe Pell, born and raised here in Squamish, British Columbia. He's that guy that gets drafted. Where were you drafted in the CFL? Was it was it number one overall? Where were you? Yeah. Was it was the first. first 
loser. I was number two. Oh, I knew it was some seed. I should have did my homework. Wow. Close to number one. That's okay. But hey, at the That's end of amazing. the day, he still had Squamish, British Columbia on his bio. So the boy's ours. Mr. Joel Pell, thank you for joining us this ap- this hot afternoon. <laughs> Extremely hot. Thanks for the beer, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on here. It's been a blast and happy to represent Squamish. I don't know. I Maybe I could have squeezed in Brackendale on that, but they never let me put Brackendale in my title. So I like it. I like it. What do you got? What are you hammering over there, Joe? What do you got a little I, bit of backcountry in your hand, cooling, keeping cool over there? What do you got? I've got a right meow as well. Oh, and I, like uh, I got to say, I'm not a beer guy historically. I'm a tequila or whiskey guy. You guys might have switched me, at least for the summer. Oh, look at this. Here we go, backcountry. Throw a little Bending the in boys there. up backcountry, yeah. throwing out the Mexican lagers, and here you go. Hey, guy showed up with a, what did you have, tequila and what? Lemonade. Tequila, tequila lemonade. lemonade and a bit of water in there. Tequila yeah. lemonade with water, and he goes right into a Mexican lager. So at least the flavor is the yeah, same. I was going to say, it's on theme, right. for sure, 100%. with the heat, too. There we go. Sombreros and ponchos theme. are up next. It's, it is Tuesday. It might have, have to Kelly be Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. Yeah, got Kelly making nachos for us. Or hey, honey. <laughs> you throw some the... tacos in. <laughs> She's like, you guys are too close. She's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm going to get a finger right out the window here in a second for sure. That sounds so loving. So, so loving. talking about cooking and dinners, if you've ever watched Joe Appel's social media, the guy whips up some fantastic <laughs> meals and pretty much about anywhere. Like the other week, it was we were the backcountry. What were you? It was like moose hot dogs or something like that, or or something oh, sausage. Was it bear was, sausage? That was dogs? bear sausage. Yeah. Oh yeah, there that we go. Weird. And it on the river in the back country somewhere up yonder. Up yonder, yeah, that was up the Elo Valley. So, um, and yeah. I've also seen you though whipping up some bear and some cougar and stuff like this. So, who in your house does the bulk majority of the cooking, Mister Joe Pell? I guess uh, because my wife might be listening right now, I should be very political <laughs> with this answer. It depends what you classify as cooking. So. For me, I think cooking the meat counts as cooking. But my wife says, oh, no, he doesn't cook. He only cooks the meat because she she makes a mean salad, does some good pastas <laughs> and other dishes, which apparently take a lot more effort than cooking the meat. So, again, I'm on her side. Yeah, yeah there you go. That, that, I think that's politically correct. I think he's nailing it there. I've been married long enough, I guess. He knows. He knows. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. I think yeah. we've said that before. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly when we're talking about your wife. Sure. Okay, perfect. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I do quite a bit of cooking. It's funny you mentioned that like all of my friends come over. I have a friend over at the house tonight and whenever they show up, it's always, you know, not what do you want for dinner? It's what meat do you want for right. dinner? And then I give them a list oh. and everybody gets a kick out of it. Cause right now I think I have goat, cougar, bear, white tailed deer, mule deer, black tailed deer, moose, elk, bison. And I'm probably missing one or two species oh my gosh. in the Can freezer we come right too? now. So I haven't had cougar. I've had all those except cougar. I'm sure you've had I a few cougars. Have you ever been to a Squamish bar? He's had a few cougars in his life for sure. <laughs> oh, can we was... add comedian to that intro? Sure. There we go. I He's like a personality it. now, That was right? quick. He's, He's a bouncer. A person- that was, was a really bouncer. quick. But well, can we come to your house for dinner? That sounds We should amazing. definitely do a dinner. I mean, I got more than enough meat in the freezer oh and gosh. hunting season's just around the corner. I love so. game meat. Have you? you 100%. Feel, yeah. I'm, I'm a so game, good, I'm so a game clean. meat kind of guy. I think my first like real entry into it all was a buddy's mom made just a dynamite moose meatloaf it was one of the even to this day like i don't think i've ever had meatloaf that tasted that good like 
It might be the backcountry brewing. You stop <laughs> laughing right meow, but I can feel the drool coming out just like the sensory and the, the memory of it. Like bison. Oh my God. Bison's a real bison burger? Mm, bison burger. Oh my yeah. God. No, I've heard stories that there are people up north of Williams Lake who actually have like bison farms, acres and acres, I guess. And like people pay tens of thousands of dollars to go and stay at these places and go out on a hunt and they hunt one of these things and then they just split it amongst a bunch because there's a lot of meat in that right yeah there are areas so over the counter like hunting license tags similar to that's what i do but there are also what's considered a high fence uh hunt so there's areas where that people own huge parcels of land and you can go out and actually take an animal on that. And because it's a farmed animal, the way it's classified, you're more there to harvest for the meat. And I, I'm pretty sure you can actually circumvent the, the hunting license requirements because you're not using a tag. The reason we have hunting licenses and tags is because you're harvesting the Crown's resources. Um, so you're taking from the government essentially. So it's, it's very regulated and structured, which is why like conservation officers have more legal power than police officers do. They can take your house, your truck, anything like that if you step outside of what you're allowed to do. If I gave you a steak and you knew that it was from an illegally harvested animal and you stored it in your freezer, in theory, if you were part of the process, they could take your house. Wow. Anyways, going back to these high fence type situations where you're talking about, you can go up and absolutely say you want to get a bison because those things are huge. That's a lot of meat. You can go up there with four buddies and stay at these beautiful chalets and go out and they'll take you and you get to harvest the animal. And, and for somebody who likes the concept of understanding where your food comes from, but isn't necessarily ready to take the plunge and learn the whole intricacies of going out in the bush and getting your own food, that's a great introductory lesson. You would learn what it's like to actually have an animal on the ground and have to process it. Because I'm telling you, like if you walk up on a moose or an elk or even a deer in the backcountry, and I mean, in different situations, and then you, all of a sudden you realize like, I'm how far from my truck and I have to get this way. Right. and you have to butcher it and process it in the field because you can't always drag it out so then you have to cut it up and you pack it out on your back like it's it's very humbling so something like that what you're talking about with the bison farm that could be a good way to get into it for someone like you who's been tiptoeing around it for a while yeah. oh yeah tiptoeing for calling sure. you out maybe that'll be one of the episodes on one of the shows oh, gosh. taking out some rookie i could out. just see fryer with the <clears throat> with the backfire the gun the rifle just hit him in the face and busting his nose open i could just see that no i've handled them for a long time i've <laughs> i've got a 30 odd six remy oh, that is uh-huh. my stalwart yeah, yeah. anyway yeah. thanks clint please nice work clint no we can't <laughs> we're not allowed to see clint had handguns we, we're not even allowed those here you can't even I mean, unless nope. you're literally going, literally your house to range or a show, you can't even technically in, in Canada have a handgun. In the near future, there's discussions that that won't even be legal anymore. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a whole different discussion. So it's funny. Yeah. So you don't we, need to go down like, that you know, road. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's and, a, and not to go down, topic. like go down the rabbit hole, but we go to Texas and they've got AR-15s and SKs and stuff like this. Do you want to shoot them? And I'm like, no, actually, I want to shoot all the nine millimeter semi-automatics that you have. And they're like, what? You want to shoot a little gun? I'm like, we don't get those at home. And we're not allowed to shoot them at home. So if you have any, I'd love to shoot them. And they're like, yeah, let's put 15 in the clip. And I'm like, what? I think you just put one at a time. No, 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 no. And again, you got to tiptoe around that because, you you know, you don't want to get into politics or guns with the Texan. And yeah, you have 15 in a clip, four clips in the pocket. Let's go. And on empty. It was so much fun. You know, firing a firearm is is uh, it's intimidating for one, but second, like you can understand why people love them. I got my my introduction to weapons. Uh, I was an army cadets, and we used to fire those old FN assault rifles, which was I don't know why they gave twelve year olds those things. Those were old and rickety, and they could explode in your face. But still, but you have an appreciation for it. But when you're popping them off, it's like whoa! Now I know why people love guns. 
And, you, and then you were just saying the same thing. You unloaded the clip. You're like, oh, let's go. Where's another one? So you yeah. can see where that love comes from. Oh, absolutely. But like I said to you, the reason I've not been in the field and harvested an animal is because I feel the exact same way as Joe does. I'm not going to do it until I'm absolutely confident that I can make that kill shot and do it ethically. Mm-hmm. It's an emotional thing, right? Yeah. People think I'm a pretty big, tough guy, but I've I've shed tears yeah. or cried multiple times, especially when I was younger. Do you sit with um, your animal after? You sit with the animal, yeah. and it's funny because people, you know, they see it on our show on TV, and they just see the excitement. And, I mean, yes, there's, there, it, there's so many sides to this story because you've put so much work into stalking this animal, preparing for the hunt, finding a mature animal and then harvesting it with a quick clean kill so you feel this excitement behind like oh my gosh i did it all the way i wanted to do it it didn't get injured it didn't run off it didn't suffer and now i get to take all this meat home and i have this phenomenal experience like you get excited about that but at the same time there's like this deep almost emotional experience to it where you do you sit down and you have this reflection i always distinctly remember this one blacktail i shot between here and whistler on this one hunt early in my hunting career and I took this deer and he was kind of one of the big bucks in the area. You could tell like he was, he was running the woods in the area and I bumped him out of his bed with a, a doe that he was probably courting at the time. And then I, I stalked him, figured out, okay, this is, these are his escape routes. And I bluffed him out and I pushed him into this one clearing. Basically I kind of outsmarted him. It played out the way I wanted to. He came out in the clearing and I shot him and I was like, oh my God, like he went down. I felt so excited. And then I got hit. It was, it, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it was like this sudden realization that like, here is this animal in the peak of its existence with, and I mean, I'm a young kid at the time too, so I'm like chasing girls and striking out left, right, and center. And I'm like, he's got this, probably what a deer would consider a beautiful girl with him. Like he's in the, and I just took him. And like, I sat there and I cried like a little baby. It was big, it was really heavy, but again, like that puts you on the course to respect and appreciate everything you're doing from then on. It's a heavy moment. Like now, even if I go to the corner store and I buy, say, for some reason, or we're traveling and I don't have my freezer with me with all my meat. And like, I'm in Toronto and I get a steak and what do you, mean? You don't travel you with food. Your and I'm like, I'm not going to leave a piece of meat here because when I see meat, I think about where did that meat come from, exactly. right? So it's a heavy experience. Yeah. A good clip on some of your social media stuff is the elk that you took on that, on the hillside there. So you got it and it went tumbling. Yeah, that was, a, that was a tough hunt. That was a few years ago during the big forest fires down in Washington and Oregon. So we were smoked out. It felt like we were smoking half a pack a day. It's in like early September, so it's hot. And your lungs, like you're just coughing. And you couldn't see anything because this thick smoke was rolling in. Like it literally just smelled like you were huffing a campfire the whole time. And then this bull right before last light came out. And I got him. It actually was a, a hard shot. So he went down. That's why you see him in the video. He runs along and he goes down hard and he just tumbles because it was steep, steep country. One thing that clip doesn't show is I ended up doing a tumble just like that later that night because we had four guys. We were packing that elk out later that night. My headlamp died because it took us so long to butcher him where, we, where he was on the hill. And I was pushing through these trees and a branch was across like parallel to the ground. I didn't see it and it took my legs out and I went head first into the dark. And oh, I remember thinking like, oh, this is how I die. Cool. That was a really cool hunt that I like to reflect on a lot. Do you usually stick around the, the Pacific Northwest when it comes to your hunting, or have you ventured out elsewhere into a variety of animals? I like to. I mean, as a homesick Squamish boy, I've moved away for 14 years, and I missed it the whole time I was gone, so I like to spend most of my time around here in the mountains. I'm definitely a quote-unquote mountain hunter, but I've been fortunate enough to travel around. Like Within Canada, I've hunted in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, but like earlier this year, I was on my second trip to Argentina where we hunted red stag down there, which is a red deer, which is similar to an elk, uh, just a smaller body. But I've, I've gone around, I've done a few different hunts. Next month, I'm going to be down in New Mexico for a pronghorn hunt. 
they call them speed goats, but they're like, uh, I think their closest relative is a goat, but they look like an antelope almost. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I get to go around and do some pretty cool hunt experiences. But is something that you do on your own volition, or is that through your programming that you're going to go to these different places? Half and half, I would say. I mean, if it was just small town Joe, it's still hunting the way I used to hunt, I'd just be hunting in our backyard here. So I've, I've through what I do for work, I've had opportunities show up. Now when a hunt opens up where I can go and experience this hunt and see what their culture is like down there and and try these different meats. I've heard, for example, pronghorn's supposed to be really tasty. I'm obviously going to jump at the opportunity and go down and do that hunt. So I guess it would be a combination of through my own drive and then also through the opportunities that, are, that come along. So you have a show. You're a co-host of a show. What's the name yes. of your show? The show is called The Edge. The Edge. So The Edge, it's available on Wild TV, which is a subscription outdoor channel in Canada. And then it's also available on the Wild TV app. So if people don't have linear television, which is very common nowadays, they're like Netflix yeah. fiends, they can download an app. And I want to say it's like 30 bucks for the year. And then so they it's can called go on Wild a, TV? Yeah, it's just the Wild TV app. And okay. then they can go on and binge our content, um, all of our seasons. And it's funny, we're a Canadian show, but we actually have like we have two major networks in the U.S. that air us as well. So we broadcast in, I think, 55 million households in the States. Nice. Yeah. Definitely a far cry from what you were doing beforehand. You mentioned you were out of Squamish for like 14 years and you missed every bit of it. And that was because you were playing football, right? Professional football. So, I mean, that, that was good too, right? I, You know what? For a kid that grew up in Squamish who was always told by doctors that I was growing too fast so I wasn't supposed to participate in athletic activities. Like they said, oh, if you run, you're going to blow your Achilles. So I got to in eighth grade, I was 320 pounds and I looked like a fat knock-kneed girl. Like I kid you not, I've shown people pictures and they're like, oh, that's Carlin. And I'm like, Carlin was never that big. That was me. Um, and it like blows their mind, wow. right? They used to tell me, you're not supposed to be an athlete. You're not supposed to do these things. And I mean, back then, so I first moved away uh, from Squamish to actually pursue. I was on Team Canada for track as a thrower. So shot and hammer. I was never a runner. Don't get don't get that twisted. I was never a runner. I jog occasionally, but I was never a runner. But and then, yeah, after that, I was fortunate enough. I got a scholarship down to Washington State. What'd you major in? When I was down there, I got a bachelor's of science in psychology. And I was two courses away from getting two other degrees. I was a relatively studious young lad back then, but I ended up pivoting and I decided I wanted to go more in the business direction. So I got a minor in business administrations. So I did all of that and I left a year early as well from Washington State. And I went in the CFL draft and I went and played in Toronto for a while. And then, yeah, after that, I there's, went back. There's a great cup in there too somewhere, right? There's gloss, a great... Gloss over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few, <laughs> few years playing pro, having some fun. Fortunate enough to win the 100th Grey Cup in Toronto with the Argonauts. That was an absolute blast. If you're going to win one championship game in your career, the 100th Grey Cup at home in Toronto, which is Toronto is the oldest professional football team, and that's NFL, CFL included, all of the above. Toronto Argonauts Rowing Club, they were the off-season sport for them, and that's what ultimately grew into the Argonauts Club as it is right now. So I played in the Vanier Cup. We lost, so that sucked. But <laughs> That's huge, man. It's good, that's, but, I, it, it, that's, but a pinnacle. That's, that's a whole new level, though. I mean, because I just imagine how intimidated it was during the Vanier Cup, that being in the Grey Cup, and then, you know, you're televised across the nation and you're playing. I mean, does that pressure get to you? Is this something that sits in the back of your mind or you're just like, holy shit, I better play really good today? You know what? You get into the zone where it's it could be a million people or it could be one person in the stands and I don't think it would make a difference. You feed off the energy of the audience, but you don't let it get to you. I think part of that was I went from playing for the House Sound Sounders here where we were lucky if half of our parents showed up to a game. And that's like on a really good day. Yeah, I, I coached um, that team for a bit. I get that. And then I went to Vancouver College, which is a high school in the city, and we, we'd get more of a turnout there. But then I went down to Washington State. When I was at Washington State, the first time I touched the football field, we were playing against Wisconsin, and we had over 100,000 people in the stands. Yeah. 
and we were nationally televised. So I mean, like you have millions of people at home. Now you want to talk about people like caving under pressure. I got all of that out of the way when I was at Washington State. I buckled like left, right, and center. You, I think, gave me far too much credit for my Washington for my university career. You know, I, I went to university. I played Pac-10 football. I had a great experience there, but that was by no means the peak of my athletic career. I think when I got drafted by the Argonauts, they called me, quote, unquote, a puppy. And they were just talking about the potential I had. It was not based on my athleticism at the time. Well, it was based on my athleticism and my coachability. It was not my football skills when I got drafted. But I, I grew from there. The the 100th Great Cup packed stadium at the Rogers Center at the time. It was a lot of positive energy in the field. But I honestly, the way we played, it could have just been like a practice with 10 people in the stands. And we wouldn't have noticed. Hold on a sec. We'll be right back. Where You At Buds is brought to you by... This time, sponsored by Carm Wines. Carm Wines are from Portugal. Have you ever been to Portugal? I've never been, but I have enjoyed quite a few bottles oh, of buds, their wine. you got to get over to, to Portugal. Portugal is like the Hawaii for Europeans. It is amazing. The beaches there, for as far as the eyes can see, red cliffs. Oh, it's so good. The Algarve, our sponsor, Carm Wines. From just north, the Algarve, in the Duro region, and they make some fabulous wines you know you want an everyday sipper they've yep. got it they also have the you know their high-end stuff too as well for those fancy occasions when you invite evelyn over with yeah. a range rover for the fancy people like 100%. me when you bring those kids out of the highlands <laughs> you bring them down to the lowlands of brackendale you know you've got to make sure you're providing the right stuff so yeah make yeah. sure you have the reserva i bought a bottle of the reserva red it was fantastic what, oh. what do you enjoy about it just a really smooth, smooth wine. And that's what I like. The same family has owned this vineyard and been producing this wine since the 17th century. That's amazing. I mean, that's before the Stanley Cup got handed out. Is that correct? I'm correct with that, aren't I? Have another drink. You know what? Try the white wine. Their Carm White is really, really good. It's dry. Yeah. I love a white wine. It's amazing. It's the old Saturday sipper in the middle of the sunshine. Absolutely fantastic. And world-renowned, too, as well. So to have them being imported here by 10 fine beverages is absolutely amazing. You can find Carm Wines at any beer and wine or liquor store in the Sea to Sky and the Lower Mainland. If they don't have it on the shelf, just ask them to stock it. Tantalus Fine Beverages can bring this into any store in the Lower Mainland or BC. Essentially, Kurt and the team at Tantalus Fine Beverages can bring this to wherever it needs to go. Now, back to the show. Was the NFL ever uh, on track for you? Did you ever thought about going that way or, or just didn't materialize for you? How'd that work? That, I don't want to sound like the guy that's like, oh, I could have gone pro if I didn't blow my <laughs> knee like, back I am, in that guy. I am that guy. <laughs> that's what Marcus says every Marcus, show. Marcus, and I don't want to literally, call you that's what he's this, smiling like, today. This giant scar is what hey. cost me my football career. See, literally so. every show. Oh, so. Well, this just got awkward. Um, <laughs> I did have... So when I left university, it was under interesting situations. We had brought on a new head coach that I actually had history with. He was the previous head coach at Eastern Washington, and they had tried to have a meeting with me, and I told him that I would move back home and work construction for the rest of my life before I'd ever play a snap of football for him because I did not like him as an individual, and I still had a little bit of spicy Squamish left in me. So that was my stance. I was like, I will never play a snap of football for you. Two years later, Bill Dober retires as our head coach at Washington State, and we bring in Paul Wolf the coach from Eastern Washington. He walks straight over to me, looks me in the eye, shakes my hand and says, look at that. Looks like you're playing for me after all. Wow. So my career tanked. He folded the program. We went from having the longest NCAA scoring streak to losing to USC. I think it was like 65 to nothing. Like embarrassing. The program there kind of took a tank. I quit a year before the end of my scholarship. I decided I was done with the program. The coaches 
I had just fallen out of love with the sport. And then I found out through the grapevine that I was going to be going first round in the CFL draft based purely on the fact that in Canada, your name is automatically entered in the draft based on your graduation year. It's not based on whether or not you enter the draft. So I thought, you know what? As a small town kid from like growing up in Brackendale, like I was like, this could just be cool. This might open doors for me down the road, see where it, it could lead. And I entered the CFL draft, ultimately got drafted, but I had opportunities at the time to do NFL workouts. I wasn't going to go to the combine. I wasn't going to do anything amazing, but I absolutely had the opportunity and potential to go and do workouts based on my size and my athleticism, how I scored on all of my events. Again, I don't want to say anything, you know, would have been set in stone, but it's highly, highly, highly likely that I would have ended up at least on a practice roster and eventually worked that way. And I will say that later on in my career, I beat out a lot of guys for positions that had gone and played in the NFL and then tried to come to the CFL to make their mark after not making the NFL. And I destroyed them and kept my position and beat them out regularly. Well, there's, so, a, there's a difference in the game, though. The NFL and CFL are, are totally different games, and this is where I love about America's like, you could just go up to the CFL and play. Like, no, you can't. It's totally a different game. You know the first time, because in BC we play, the majority of high school programs play American rules. My first time ever playing a snap of Canadian rules football as a Canadian kid was after I had been drafted in the CFL. Yeah, like, I'm playing pro in a league that I had never actually played a snap 100%. In. So that makes a lot of sense. The combine, I've always wanted to experience it because I see it on TV mm-hmm. just to talk to somebody who's been through it because it's generally just a giant meat market, isn't it? Like, well, we talked about cattle earlier and yeah. that's all it is is a <laughs> exactly. glorified cattle show. Yeah. You're prodded, poked, measured for fat content. They measure your arms, see how you can jump. They do IQ tests. Fun fact, as a hoggy, people don't think you have a brain in your head and I've probably knocked it out by now, but at the time of the CFL combine, when I went there, I broke the wonder, like the IQ test. I broke the new high score. They gave me the results and said, by the way, you broke the previous record. Congratulations. That same time that I was in there writing it, another guy beat me out by one point. So oh I never, God. I never got the crown. Oh, no. I got notified and then they called me back like 20 minutes later and they're like, ah, just kidding, you nerd. Like beat it. You got dethroned. So again, I was second Somebody place took once you again out. in my career. 20 minutes later. Second place once again in my career. But uh, it's a humbling experience. Like you go in, it's, it's just a meat market. And it's nerve wracking because you, you ask about, you know, whether the lights or the crowds kind of get to you. Normally they don't get to me when I'm playing, but if you're out there and you're benching or, or running or doing anything like that, and all of a sudden there's just this whole audience staring at you, that's when it gets to you because your adrenaline starts dumping into your system. You go into it, it doesn't matter how much you prepare for that situation, you're flustered and it screws with you in a big way. But yeah, it was a cool experience. Another fun fact is I was fortunate enough to be in Toronto at the time of the draft and I was the first person in the CFL to be drafted live on TV. So the first pick, who's way cooler than me, Corey Greenwood, wasn't in studio, but I was in Toronto. So they're like, hey, do you want to be announced on TV? And I was like, yep. So they announced me on TV. That was fun. My little haha, I wasn't first, but at least I was on TV. That's right. <laughs> Won the Great Cup, and then how much longer were you in the league after that? Uh, a year and a half, two years. I got I got drafted by Ottawa in the expansion draft. And then, well, long story short, what, I, what happened was, um, and I don't talk about it a lot, but I found out that my team's athletic trainers had been hiding a lot of imaging results from, uh, I had a really bad shoulder, I had a bad neck and bad knee and a few things, and they had been hiding results from me on my imaging and telling me things were going to be okay and then, and then I finally went and I was like I, I had another surgery and I was like I just wasn't feeling confident so I went out and I got a third party right. test and they were like they pulled my records from the team and then from the imaging they did that I had done through them and I found out that the team doctors had been lying to me to get me back out on the field more regularly 
Um, and it was starting to get to the point where it was going to cause serious complications down the road, which I'm facing now with some wow. of my injuries. I went through that process and then I sat through a CBA negotiation between the Players Association and the, the Owners Association. And I saw how they really like, Combine makes you feel like cattle, but you sit in one of those negotiations and you realize how little you you matter to these people who tell you that that they love you. Uh, Well, you're a product to them. You're a money earner for them. Yeah. And it just, my romance with the sport fell apart in a heartbeat. And I realized at that point in the sport, my best days were probably behind me. And I decided rather than pushing my body to the limits for people that didn't care about me ultimately and just wanted to use me and abuse me, I said, you know what? I left at the peak of my career and I went back to school and I got my MBA. It was a good decision. I realized I wasn't married. I didn't own a house at the time. I didn't have any major commitments. And I was like, if I want to go back to school, I've been out of the education system for quite a while. I had a lot of positive contacts I had made through my career. I didn't feel like I offered as much value as I could because I was so far removed from the education system. So I went back to school. I got my MBA. I will tell you, though, when you're living the student life, going back to school for your MBA, paying through the nose for the Canadian education system and just getting gouged left, right, and center. And then you have pro teams, because I had a lot of coaches emailing me and being like, hey, Joe, here's a contract, by the way, better than any contract they ever put on the table when I told them I was open to still playing. As soon as you tell them you're off the table, everybody's like, oh, see that? Let's add a zero here, double this, make it all look nice. Oh yeah, Joe, here, you can show up. You don't even have to play much. You could be a practice roster guy, just be a locker room guy, like good energy in the locker room, like you could be a quote unquote vet. Here's your ticket for the next flight. Just come out here and play for us. So it was tough walking away from those contracts at the time, but you kind of got to realize when that stage of your life is done and over with. So I'm, I'm trying to imagine what you're going through in terms of injury, getting to that next level, because I have neck and knee and back problems now, and I didn't even get to your level. So I can just imagine like the stuff that you have to analyze where you think, okay, I'm at my physical limitations. How much more do I want to give at this point? Like, Do I keep pushing myself to these physical limits for this salary, or do I make the sacrifice, essentially? I mean, as a someone who's been raised in athletics, you can appreciate the fact you're always told, like, man up, you know, always, are you hurt? or are you injured this that and the other or uh, even more than that like the team's counting on you don't be selfish and you're like okay cool like I I literally went back in games my fingers are dislocated pointing the wrong way like busted up Uh, one game I played against USC I do not remember the last three quarters of the game like I kid you not I was watching film I was like I don't even know who that guy was I suffered from nosebleeds for like six months after that game that was was before all the concussion protocols because I have a similar story yeah it was you just got a dinger or you got your bell rung yeah Yeah. I I mean that was give him some grew up on right give him some smelling salts he'll be fine bell rung you'll be all right you know I I, the same thing I I remember in the fourth quarter I got high load and I was out this is university I don't remember even the fourth quarter I remember it being in the changing room going, did we win? And everyone laughing at me like, of course we won. Actually, you were like, you had a half sack in the fourth quarter. How do you not remember that? So you get laughed at and then back at practice on Monday. You know, that was how it was, right? Yeah. It's kind of funny because we talked to a lot of people who have like hit their pinnacle in sport. Mm-hmm. But it seems to go back to that common theme of like, I made it there. And it wasn't everything yeah. that it was, it was all made out to be. I mean, I played with a lot of guys. A lot of my friends from university and stuff like that played the peak in the NFL. I've hung out with a lot of guys. I still know a lot of guys that are active in the NFL, CFL. I will say... Um, it's a job. It, it's a job. It becomes a job at a certain stage. But you realize at every level, a lot of the time, it's just average individuals that put in extraordinary effort they get to that level and people that are willing to make sacrifices and dedicate themselves fully to it. There's a saying that says like hard work outperforms talent 10 times out of 10. And it's true because I've seen people that were phenomenally gifted athletes and you're like, Oh, that guy's going to the league and they don't go anywhere because they're, they're too entitled. They don't perform up to their peak. So it's, you have to have this combination of yes, God given talent, 
Um, but you have to combine it with that work ethic. And then when you get to the top, like my whole career, I was like, I don't do this because I want to be an athlete. I don't do this because I want to be an athlete. And then you get to the, you know, you start playing pros or like I competed on team Canada in track and field. And then I played pro football or I played at the peak of what you can consider the peak of collegiate level. And at every level, it was just, I got in the locker room and I was like, wait a second, like you're just a bunch of other dudes like me that are just, I wouldn't even say gift enough. You're as stubborn as heck and willing to put in stupid effort and probably just suckers a punishment. Realistically is what it comes well, down it's funny to. But because from a hockey perspective, and even a, just a pure sport perspective, you're so right. It's it's the guys who get told, like you were saying before, you're not going to be that guy. You're not supposed to be that guy. Yeah, They're just so stubborn. Like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. You tell me I can't, I'm going to tell you I can. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, and they put the extra time. You can't skate, I'll put 20 hours a week into being a better skater. You can't shoot, I'm going to put 20 hours a week into shooting. You're not big enough. I'm going to get better from a gym perspective. I'm going to be that guy. You just can't say no to. Negativity is like one of the best drivers and failure is the best motivator. Growing up in Squamish, you said you've talked to a bunch of different athletes that have left Squamish and reached their peak. I think growing up in Squamish as a football player and as a track athlete was one of the biggest drivers for me because it was like at the time, I mean, heck, the Sounders didn't even start up until I think I was, I can't remember what grade I was in. We had to go to the city if we wanted to play community league. Like this stuff just wasn't available in Squamish. So I thought it was kind of cool to be able to say, I'm coming from somewhere where like, like, I mean, if you're in Texas and the program, like you're literally bred to be a football player, right? But here it was all the cards were stacked against you and you could still make it. And I loved proving people wrong. Like when I was playing pro, I loved going in stadiums when people hated us and booed us. And I just, when they shut up by halftime. That's the whole recruitment thing. I mean, that's, that's the grassroots of it, right, Joe? I mean, that's, that's kids looking up to a guy like yourself saying, you know what? He's got Squamish on his bio. And he went second overall in the season. They CFL. only look up to me because I'm 6'8". <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that happens too. Like, I don't remember us having a football team. That's no, how we didn't. He's, non-existent. He's, that's how young he is. Oh, okay. Like, even for us, okay, who so, aren't that much older so than Joe. Yeah. It existed way back in the day. It was a different. Yeah. It was under a different name. And that's then right. when I, I think I was in 10th grade or 11th grade or something, and we they started up the House Sound Sounders. Okay. And it existed only for up. a few years. And I think the program I coached, actually- I coached that. I was, the, I was the lineman coach in 2001, 2000. 2002, That's right. It would have been the early 2000s. Did you coach me back then? Back uh, up again. You weren't on the line. If you weren't on the line, I didn't coach you. You okay. were a linebacker, weren't you? I can't even remember what I played. Uh, again, I've hit my head a lot of times. Me since too. <laughs> me too. We no, were known as 20s. the Sounders for, I mean, like we had a field hockey team. Like we were, yeah, every, every, same every team that 100%. we had coming out of house was the Sounders. But I just, yeah, when we were in high school, there was no football No, there wasn't. It would, it would have been it would have been early 2000s where okay. that started to yeah. come back because there, there was enough of oh, okay. an interest in the program from the young kids. But I knew oh, it was 2001 God. because I was working at Mountain FM at the time, and I was doing traffic reports and coaching at the same time. So I was like, hold on a second, huh. run to the truck, do a traffic report, run back out. <laughs> Continue approaching. All clear on the highway. <laughs> it's all good. No motorcycles down this week. No, everyone's fine. Now it's like every weekend. Oh, my God. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> right? So where did you grow up in Squash? Were you a Valley Cliff boy? I grew up on Grant Road. Oh, you're Brackendale. I'm a Bracky boy. Oh, yeah. Through. Here we are. No, I'm a Brackendale. No, I'm just kidding. What's that? No, no. I just, I mean, he's always, you know, I was Hospital Hill, so oh. we always have this thing. Nobody's, I love Brackendale. Nobody's though. perfect. It's okay. No. <laughs> That's right, Joe. I try to tell her all the time. I love Brackendale, though. Love it. 
You know what's funny? See, it's is untouched still. Brackendale growing up, I want to say like we had, I don't know about you, but when we grew up and we started throwing house parties, like Brackendale was known as the quote unquote, like kind of one of the lower end, less fortunate parts of town. Like if people showed up, it was Brack tax and I got to take a beer out of your case. If you showed up at the party or something like that, I got to steal a beer for you because I was like, no, we live in Brackendale. I feel like the tables have turned. I mean, well, there's nowhere in town that you could quote unquote Brack tax anybody nowadays, but uh, yeah, Brackendale. We can still do that. Brackendale seems I, I, like it's pretty we, untouched we should, though still. Like, Brackendale is, of, has held on to its, its, yes. its feel. That I live feel. just down the street from you guys Yeah, and now. it still feels the same, right? Like, whereas everywhere else in town has totally changed. The, I tell you one thing that has changed. Have you seen any of the sticker prices on the for sale signs? <laughs> oh my God, yes, exactly. That's why you yes. can't. That's, that's, that's why what's saying, changed. That's what's that's changed. That's why I'm saying you can't justify a Brack tax anymore because if you live in Brackendale, you're quite fortunate. But what I mean, if you live in Brackendale and you're in the place where you grew up in? Then you're lucky. Yeah. You're fortunate. That's that's all it comes down to is I kicked myself so many times. I I looked at the market early on to get back here and I always wanted to come back and everybody kept saying, Oh, just hold off, don't worry, the market's gonna dip. Every time they said it was going to yeah, dip, that up. was like a trick word for it's going to double yeah, next the week. Worst. Yeah, totally. You know, see, the thing for me is I always, you always see these people like, oh, you know, this, this new generation, they're never going to be able to afford a house. Like, blah, 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 blah. I get this. I didn't just go to a house in Bracken like, hey, I got a fresh out of school, man. I'm buying a house in Brackendale. Detached. Single family. Door. Not happening. That didn't happen then. And my parents never had money. They didn't gift me this big sum. I started with a trailer. I rented it. I put 20 grand into it because the bank would give me 20 because I bought it at such an amount. I took that amount, sold that trailer, turned that money that I made on the trailer, turned it into a townhouse in Squamish, and then took a massive hit on the townhouse. Like 30 grand I lost. A year later, my brother-in-law sells in the same complex for 100K more, right? It's okay. You always make it back. I get it. And yeah. so it's relative. And then, so I've always been terrible in real estate and then purchased this place for my parents in like, what, 2013, 2014. Ooh, and good timing. Yeah. I was, bought my house in 99, so. It know. was, it was. I don't like you. You know. <laughs> It, it worked out well, gonna, but you don't just go from like, you know. hey, yeah. I graduated high school, I've come out of university, and now I'm going to a house. So when well, I see these people talk like that, that's not how the world works. You have to find your way in. What is the easiest way for you? And then you do have to work take for it. Up the ladder. I think there's I mean? also a difference in our outside spending nowadays. I talked to my grandparents or somebody and I talked to them about the fact they got to buy their house when they were young. And they're like, yeah, it was a three year salary or whatever. Yes, granted, we can't. I mean, if you make if you make enough to buy a house in Brackendale (laughs) in three years, kudos to you. But like they used to buy fabric and stitch their own freaking clothes. My grandmother owned a sewing machine. They would sew their clothes. They didn't own the newest iPhone. They didn't have the fanciest trucks. They didn't have all these belts. They didn't have all these other things. If you cut down, if the average individual nowadays cut down all the outside spending, all the apps and Netflix, this, that, and the other, and devoted themselves to purchasing a house, it would become more feasible. I'm not again. I'm not saying that this. But they're really convenient. Come on. Yes, yeah. I hide my phone. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> like I'm my guilty phone of it too. Under but my leg. It's and not. Evelyn starts backing up the Range Rover out of the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not a convenient, Ruth. And it's still, I'm not saying that the Squamish real estate market, don't get me wrong, the Squamish real estate market is completely out of control. It's ridiculous. The scary thing is it's not going anywhere. It's only going to grow. And we are in a bubble. We're a destination now. Look yeah. at what's happening to the waterfront. It's only going to get worse. Every time a new development comes in, price is going to go up. Like every time I see the property value on my home, mainly because I have to pay property tax on it, which hurts and 
my house should not be worth that much. It really shouldn't. It, and uh, it's just, shut your dirty it mouth. Should. It should yeah. be worth more. We're all it should. lucky we're in. So if you've traveled elsewhere and you see what kind of houses you can buy for prices elsewhere, then yes, like yeah. the structures themselves aren't worth that money. But what I see is when you're buying in Squamish, you're buying a lifestyle. If I've lived in a lot of different places and there has been no place I've ever lived or traveled to in my life where. I can go on the ocean, pull crab traps, go up a mountain, go mountain biking, and later that day be sitting there with a glacier mountain view, eating fresh crab and having drinks with my friends like in the mountains or in, on a river or doing whatever you want. So like we are very fortunate because of where we live. But when you buy a house in Squamish, you're not buying that house. You're buying like a membership card for Squamish. For someone who was at the time living in Ontario, I went from having to describe Squamish as, well, if you've ever been to Whistler, did you stop at McDonald's? Exactly. Yes. Or, yeah, or the Chevron? Like, that's that's where I was. And they're yes. like, people don't live there. What are you talking about? It's just like a, there's a yes. gas station and a burger joint. Oh, and then now I'm in Chicago and I'm on my way to Wrigley Field to see the Cubbies versus the White Sox. And dude says, where are you from? And now I just say Squamish. And he goes, oh my gosh. They know. That's that place where they did that slack line. When I was in Toronto, went from trying to educate people on where we were to now all of a sudden people were coming back from music festivals and they were educating me on the Squamish lifestyle oh and the Squamish God. life. And they're like, oh, <laughs> this is so Squamish. And I was like, you do realize what? I literally grew up there, but they thought because I lived in Toronto, I didn't understand it. And if you look at the population in Squamish now, it's the vast majority is Ontario. I personally tribute a lot of the population boom in Squamish to uh, the music festivals. It's funny. I literally, I that's exactly how I used to describe where I was from too all the time. You know the McDonald's in between Vancouver and Whistler? Yeah, that's where I live. Don't forget the don't around sign. That one. That was oh. the best. That was awesome. <laughs> oh man, I love this town though. If they didn't hit the McDonald's, they stopped at the Chevron to gas up and to use the bathroom. Yeah, that was it. It was like one of Timmy's, those two. Yeah, and there was also the Timmy stuff. Well, the Timmy's yeah. after Timmy's came here. Yeah, then after. the Timmy's was a big. Stop. It was always McDonald's because there was nothing else. McDonald's, Seven Eleven. That's it. So listen, your new dad. What's that like? Like for all your accomplishments and everything you've done, we're all parents here. You're a new dad. What's it like, bro? What's it it, what's that like? Hands down, the coolest experience I've ever been fortunate enough to like have. I would trade everything up until this point for that. Again, talking about being a proud Squamish boy, the fact that my son was born in Squamish is really big to me. Like nice. That's pretty special. Um, my wife and I, a big part of the reason why we moved back to Squamish was I would always talk to her about my childhood growing up here in Brackendale and what I got to experience. And I'd always say it was very important to me that if we were to have kids, I wanted them to be raised here with the lifestyle I had growing up. So being able to actually follow through with that and see him, you know, I mean, he's seven months, so I can't sit here and say, oh, I've seen him grow up with the lifestyle I had yet. But knowing that that's what he has ahead of him is is really special and really exciting. And being able to introduce another generation of our family tree here in Squamish, it's, it's really cool. Buds a glow on your face <laughs> when you either, when it's on Instagram or social media, man. I love it. Like it's, I think it's, it's just something that most parents do, but it, I think it's kind of cool. Cause there's some of those ones like your, your Insta posts or whatever. Uh, I don't even want to admit this, but I own a pair of binoculars now. <laughs> Because you, you're out back looking at these same mountains because Joe looks at these same mountains that I do. And there's goats up there and shit. Yeah. Like, like seriously, bro. I've lived here all my life and I've always wanted to like hike up to the top of this peak right here. And you know, Google Earth changed things a little bit because you could see what's beyond it now. And it's pretty cool to see what's beyond this peak that you look at in Brackendale. But like to know that there's animals up there, man, it's been pretty cool. Joe's like spotting them with his kid. 
on Insta. I feel like you're using those binoculars for other things, though. Well, there is some of that, too, as well. I feel like, you know. There is some of that. I had to have conversations with all of my neighbors and let them know, like, uh, just so you know, like, I'm not peering into your windows. <laughs> yeah. You can see by the angle. I'm looking above your house. Don't oh worry. Oh, my God. How about Jimmy Jimmy? I love it. There's some bears up on Jimmy Jimmy. It's just amazing. Yeah. Joe, do you want another beer? I might have to crack into one more. What thinking. do you want? You want a oh, pilsner? Oh, he's got the creamsicle. You want, oh, you got... Or you can throw one of those meows in there, too. Like, right meow. You can throw I'll try meow. a creamsicle. We're close enough to the Brackendale General. It'll be reminiscent of yeah. my days sneaking out. Oh, my out. Screamers, gosh, right? Style. The screamers. Yeah. Dude, right now, the Jenny. This is what the kids call it. That's what the, no, kids, the, call it. the know, kids call it. The kids call it the Jenny. We're going, going to the Jenny. Oh, the store. Jenny. And okay. Marcus kind of miffs at this. And I can see his face right now. He doesn't understand screamer. Like, oh, it is what? like a root beer float mm. on steroids. And he's like, I'm not a root beer guy. I like root beer. I just never heard of it. Whatever that is. Oh, so it's root beer Slurpee with soft serve ice cream oh. vanilla on top. It's like literally, it is seriously, it's. You Let's know what I miss? One. The old school Backendale Diner where you could go get those like the snack shack, burgers the and they had the milkshake, shack. those old school milkshakes in there. They'd snap the fries right off the wall. They'd oh put the potato God. in the little holder and. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, oh, yeah. The crab apple's great and their food's good, but like just one greasy spoon diner meal on oh, their menu. Burger that's Baron like, or something? No, but I'm telling you right now, though, listen, the crab apple, they're bennies. I've seen their bennies. Oh, oh my God. You slice into it, into the egg, and it leaks. It is absolutely <laughs> amazing. The way you it said is, that was so oh, creepy. You can, you can see the tear go. coming I'm, I'm glad they're not paying us. You might have to pay them after this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, you cut into it. It's All the most right. perfectly, it, it just it's the most perfectly so poached awesome. egg I've ever had in my God. life. <laughs> You cut into it and it's, oh, um, I don't even know. Fergie's, sorry. Leaks, is Leaks not the right one, dude? You know, know what, one. honestly, it's been amazing being able to chat with you and get to know you, heard a lot about you, so. And, your channels, um, where, where can people yeah. find you? They can find your wild shameless TV, where plug. else they can find you? Shameless plug yourself. Shameless, I'm really bad at that. Um, so, myself, I'm on social media, you alluded to my social media quite a bit, it's Joe underscore Appel, my last name, E-P-P-E-L-E, -E. uh, that's on Instagram, they can check me out there. On TV, it's a subscription-based channel uh, through any linear network. It's uh, Wild TV. They can add it on there or get the app, Wild TV app. It's just through the iTunes app store. I don't know how many audience members you guys have in the States, but we're on Pursuit Channel and Cowboy Channel as well down there. I think that's pretty much anywhere you can find me, or you can find me wandering around Brackendale. Love it. Especially yeah, on weekends with a beer in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Steve Ranella. Yes. So I'm a huge fan of his meat eater show. And one thing that you said earlier kind of resonated. There was one time where he was traveling with his wife and kids. And I guess he had to go ahead and she was taking the next flight with the kids or whatever. And she had to leave. She had to pick either the Christmas gifts or the cooler of meat to take with them. And she picked the Christmas gifts. And he was devastated because all of this meat went to waste. Oh, my God. And he talked about it on the show. He was, like, mortified because he had, like you say, such a connection with these animals yeah. and, like, <clears throat> how much it took, you know, to harvest the animal and all of that. And that would not that go was over a my huge house. fight can, for that. Yeah. You can buy new gifts. That's I, it. Uh, that's it. Yeah. I, I would not. That would not go over well. Yeah. It was an emotional I've, episode. I was like, wow. Mm. Like, I'm surprised they were still married. Like, he was just mortified. Yeah. So now mortified. you can see. Now you can see. This is, I this is kind of like the back stuff with, with Joe. The, the passion, the conservation, the ethical harvest, that kind of stuff. 
right? Yeah. When it comes down to it, right? You can see that kind of stuff with him. Mr. Joel Pell, thank you. Why are you looking at me like that? Like, <laughs> You're opening a plastic bag of oh, snacks while we're recording. Starving. Well, awesome. Oh, come on. Nice work. It's backcountry beers. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> backcountry beef. So hold on here. Before before we cut this out, we got some beer sausage. We're going to try this beer the sausage. The bear sausage? Bear sausage. I did. I brought over some fresh bear pepperoni for you. Why do you get the bigger piece? Oh, my gosh. That's why bear is good. So, like, I do it a lot of different ways. But to introduce people to bear, I do bear, like, different flavors of cured smokies. Where You At Buds is produced by Evelyn Schellenberg and Stephen Fryer. Marcus Monopoly is our executive producer and edits the show. Theme music, Wannabes by Dirtbag Republic. Our voice guy is Matt Grant. Where You At Buds is an Anubis media production. Thanks for listening. And let us know where you at, buds. Follow us on our socials. Links are in the show notes. And please subscribe. Subscribe.